And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Kevin Crenshaw, also known as the Heart Guy, who during his near-death experience fought to stay here. Kevin, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Kevin, if you don't mind, let's start on the day that this all happened and go from there. Yeah, so the day it happened, this was an accidental overdose of, of plant medicine. So I kind of, there were, there were certain situations that happened before that day that I think play into this. I was extremely stressed for about six months prior. And I mean, like, um, overworking to pay off debt, uh, eviction notices on my door, like really facing like, I need to make money or I'm going to get evicted. Okay, now that's paid, then I need to make money, or this guy's going to sue me. Okay, now I've paid a little bit of that. And then I need to make money to f- for food. And, and this is like a daily happening for me for about three months. Uh, and then three months following that was like, I couldn't really turn it off. I was having a ton of energy drinks. Um, I was losing sleep. I was pretty distraught. I wasn't, you know, grounded, powerful, really coming from a place of scarcity, fear, specifically around money. And I was doing anything and everything to work to pay it off. Um, Essentially, I had, unbeknownst to me, somehow gotten in $120,000 in debt overnight. Um, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. And so I was like, all right, well, I need to pay these people back because it was like little things here and there from one person or another. And I just had an ignorance to money and got myself in that situation and my overambition, I guess. And, um, so I, I'm removed from that situation. I paid people off all the immediate stuff and a mentor of mine at the time um was like i think another ceremony might be supportive for you right now you just went through a lot and just let's just like reset you know clear the space and i had done san pedro um a few times with a shaman and in you know proper settings but this would was going to be a solo thing to really just support me it made sense on paper but my intuition was like i i don't want to there was some energy behind it where my intuition was like, no. And I, it didn't make sense. And so I rationalized it. No, I need this right now. Da, 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 da. I trust this person. But my body really was like something's off. And I didn't listen to that. I was even thinking about discontinuing um, mentorship with this person uh, leading up to it and even talking to a few of my friends about that. And I couldn't bring myself to have that conversation. So I just continued down the path. Well, the day of, um, you know, rented out an Airbnb to, for a private sit, and it was powdered instead of cooked by a shaman, which um, if you think about what that does spiritually to the plant is like you dry it up and throw it in a blender. Like that's not the best taking care of a plant, even if it is meant for ingestion. And um, so that definitely had an effect on how it affected me. And the person serving me was very out of integrity and they didn't know the dosage. So um, they had quote unquote tested it the day before. So they thought they knew everything. And I go into it and I have a huge spoonful of this stuff. And, you know, we do a ceremonious uh, drop in 
take some an hour later, I don't feel anything. So I take some more. An hour after that, I don't feel anything. So I take some more. Then all of a sudden it hits me like a freight train and comes to find out I had taken enough for 30 people by accident. Um, and this, we didn't know either that it, it, it expands in liquid. So it started expanding in my stomach and I hadn't had a gag reflex since I was like two. And so I'm, it's, I'm expanding, it's expanding in my stomach. I start freaking out and having a lot of paranoia, a little bit of manicness, a little bit of like just disconnected from reality. Like, uh, I just started really having a bad trip and freaking out. And she was, she took a little bit too, but and that started freaking her out. And I'm like, okay, well now I don't feel safe. And, uh, man, it, it got to a point where, um, she was like, do you, do we need to go to the emergency room? And I'm, I'm like thinking in my head, like, well, I don't want you to get in trouble. So no, <laughs> but I didn't know the severity of the situation. And, you know, that I experienced a lot during that trip and it was extreme overwhelming my nervous system. It was, um, it was, I didn't feel safe. It kind of brought up anything repressed all at the same time while I'm also dealing with a trauma of sorts. And, um, I finally got to myself to throw up like three giant salad bowls worth of rainbow colored shit. Like it was yellow and pink and black. And I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. And I wasn't visualizing, like hallucinating a visual of that. That's actually what, what, what it was. And I, I essentially calmed, start calming down after a few hours of honestly just crazy freaking out. And I start calming down. I start relaxing and she's like rubbing my shoulders and trying to get me to calm down as well. Cause I was in a pa panicked state that whole time. Um, and she started rubbing the back of my head and I got a visual in, in my mind's eye of a knife slowly going into the back of my head. And I don't know what's real and what I'm making up. So I'm thinking like, Holy shit, she's killing me. Why am I allowing this? And I snapped out of it, and like pushed her away. So I like grabbed the back of my neck. What, what the fuck? She's like, Whoa, it's just me. It's just me. And I didn't feel anything. So I'm like, Okay. I'm just so disconnected. And I was having very graphic images, um, seeing rivers full of blood. Like, I don't want to get into too much of the detail because it's pretty gruesome, but I, I was having some pretty gruesome visions in, the, in all of this. And, um, you know, it was freaking her out even more. So eventually uh, she we tried to just like leave and get in another room, which didn't help me at all. But I had this after that, I was kind of by myself and I was laying down and I had this like infinite feeling of like infinitely flipping backwards. And everything got really quiet because I allowed myself to go there. And then I saw this like beaming light and all of this, you know, I, I started to have enough awareness of like, fuck, I might be dying right now. Cause I've had heard a lot of NDEs talk about a light and going into the light and it's very common reference. And I'm like, Oh, is that what's happening? And I, 
felt in my soul and my intuition works in terms of feeling. So when I hear God or, you know, get an intuitive hunch, a lot of times it's either visual or it's like a felt sense in my body. It's not a lot of hearing words. And I had this feeling like you can choose. And instantly I was like, nope, I've got a fucking mission. This is not my time. I am not going. Um, I'm I'm, I got more life to live. Like this isn't fucking it. And I came back into my body and like jolted up and I, my consciousness was, it felt like I wasn't in a coherent timeline. Like I was time jumping. Like I would half a second of not really being in full presence and my mind would start wandering off what felt like an hour, but in the span of five seconds. And then I'd like snap out of it and come back to the present moment. And then I'd veer off in a different direction in a different timeline. And it was like I was either seeing past lives or I was seeing potential futures. And I was like in this weird space of all of this. And the whole time I'm slapping myself. I'm like, come back, come back. No, I choose to be here. And I was, you know, I, I, I used to, to really be into um, state control and, and controlling your state based on how your, what your body's doing. And so I was like slapping myself, getting myself to be in presence. And honestly, it, for what felt like about two hours, pretty manically, was just slapping myself, getting myself to come back into this body. Like I'm here, I'm here, I choose to be here, I choose to be here. And any, if I dropped that for a second in that two hours, boom, I'm off into a certain timeline. My mind wasn't, was off in Narnia or some shit. Literally, I, I don't remember any of those things that happened, but I know it was like, uh-uh, you're here. And I really learned to be present in that. Eventually, um, time went on and to put it, without, you know, going into making this an hour long talk of just my story in this, I was high for three days, I was so scared to go to sleep, because I knew what had just happened. And I was like, I'm scared, that I'm gonna die. So that that fight in me was like, Nope, you're not sober yet, don't go to sleep, because I didn't know if I was gonna wake up or not. And um, ended up staying up for three days and finally collapsed in my in my room didn't know um, what day it was. Like, I didn't know that it was three days. And when I finally came back to, um, I was psychotic for about a month. I was hearing voices. I was seeing things. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was uh, a, a complete disconnection from reality. Um, thankfully, I had a really good friend, still amazing friend of mine now that lived pretty close to me and he would come and check in on me and like make sure I was fed and stuff. Cause I was just not, I was like a blob. It was like really struggling with reality, but I was also having psychotic episodes and, um, it was, it was pretty scary. And I had enough self-awareness about a month into it to be like, dude, your body got poisoned and you're not well physically. Cause I was trying to grip it all in my mind. And I was like, oh, so let me address this as a physical issue then. So I, that was a huge turning point of like coming back, so to speak. And then um, in that journey, I, I developed crazy IBS and gut problems because it did a number on my stomach. Um, I stopped producing stomach acid. My pituitary and thyroid were all out of whack. My adrenals were all out of whack beforehand, and they even got more shot 
Um, and I have leaky gut and loose gut, which is my, the muscles in your colon don't actually move. So it, I developed a lot of problems and, and a lot of pain in that. And that took me about a year and a half to actually start the process of healing that. That took me a year to actually get over. So it, it's actually been, I would say now six months since I've been fully recovered physically from all of this. And that was three years ago, three and a half years ago, I guess I should say. This is the end of 2019 and we're in 2023 now. So um, I, because of all of this, got trauma-informed. So being trauma-informed really supported my coaching practice. And it supported me because I, I knew a lot of things cognitively, but I really had a chance to integrate it. And, you know, being three years removed from this situation, I know a lot more about forgiveness. I've I know a lot more about listening to my intuition. I know a lot more about trauma and um, how that impacts people and how to actually work with that to support people's healing process because I had to go through that myself, not just around this situation, but situations in my past that I was just approaching from a mindset lens and a mindset perspective. And so um, I'm still in the process of unpacking a lot of this because it is so recent. Um, I know I decided to, to come back. I know that for a fact. I know it's been a pretty grueling process to heal physically. Um, and it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I actually got blood work to look at things. I was just like trying things here and there. And I'm surprised that I got myself out of it as much as I did, uh, quote unquote, on my own. Um, and one thing that I really did that snapped me back from the psychosis, because I know I, I mentioned, I was like, oh, this is a heal, this is a physical thing. That was the first thing. And the next layer of it is I took myself to a graveyard and I walked around and just fucking sobbed. I was like, dude, you're still holding on to like all of this anger and resentment and pain and fear around like stress about money. Dude, you're fucking alive. And I really got the chance to like sit with that and I remember I journaled the the phrase breathe for those who can't. And that really started unlocking a lot for me. And then once I actually got the physical support that I needed during a blood work and a naturopath and an extremely strict nutrition and protocol for about six months, um, wasn't until I got back on my feet. And um, I even took a year off of working. Because, you know, I was a workaholic leading up to all of that. And, to, you know, rightfully so. I, I was behind and owed people money. And um, I'm now even repairing my relationship with how I show up to work. And um, I think I'm still in the process of uncovering the uh, golden nuggets from this experience. Um. mainly because I've shared this more recently and even just now I feel tension in my body. It's not like talking about something that happened. Like, you know, I can talk about my childhood trauma and there's nothing in my body because I've done a lot of work around it. This feels fresh and it still impacts me to some extent um, in terms of how I, uh, around work a lot, which is weird. It's like how I show up because how I was showing up before was from a lot of ego 
and um sure i helped people but it it was like my motivation was money because i owed people money and so i would I, really motivation was to stay in integrity it wasn't of service which is really what i'm showing up for now so like a kid newborn baby i'm learning to walk in a new way and i held on to a lot of dense resentment and shame about this for a while you know and i've i've heard this said once that you know people that have ndes either are in one or two camps they either have this shame around it all and they dense even more and almost like the story of i should be dead or i should have died and or they flip it into this other camp where they're like extremely grateful for their life and they start a new life and i feel like the past three years i have been in that first camp and i didn't say i wasn't thinking like i should be dead but i was just in a lot of dense energy energetically i was i was i was tense I wasn't open like, oh my God, I'm alive. This is great. It's amazing. Okay, let me go live my life. Like it wasn't like that. Just now, three and a half years later, it's actually starting to switch. And I think getting well physically was needed to happen before I could get there energetically, right? I want to go back real fast to the point where I was getting stabbed in the neck or I thought I was getting stabbed in the neck. I know your audience is more on the paranormal side, so they would appreciate um, this part of the story. And I don't share this all, all the ways publicly. but. Um, I actually was stabbed energetically. There was um, a shaman that I saw about two years ago, did some sound healing on me. I told him about the situation and he removed shrapnel and, uh, so it, and he didn't tell me what it was because he said I didn't, he didn't want to freak me out, but he removed something from my neck. And for a day afterwards, it was red and sore. Like I had to just had surgery because energetically I did. And I had a lot of neck problems following this as well. And he was, he, all that he told me was you, you, there was a very dark and sophisticated energy that did this to you. This isn't normal and, or, or it's gone now. So you don't have to worry. That's all he said. And I had had Reiki practitioners look at my neck because I had, because of this neck pain and be like, I see like shards of glass. I had three different practitioners say that. And so I'm like, okay, well, I, my mind instantly went to that situation. Um, and so, you know, I'm healed and recovered from that now, but I was definitely probed of some sorts, which is why I was so dense and why I wasn't actually getting better uh, for so long until that happened. Then that actually unlocked, I think very quickly after that, I started getting blood work and then got the right help. So um, that's the story. Kevin, thank you for sharing your story with us. If we go back to the point where you were doing backflips for infinity, mm -hmm. do you think it's possible that you actually flipped out of your body and then went to the light? Possibly. I haven't ever thought of it like that, but that would make a lot of sense. Because it was... Yeah, it... That would make a lot of sense because I experienced stillness then. So I didn't ever see my body in all of that, mm -hmm. but I could see that. I could see that. That's for sure. Yeah. When you were in the light, did you get any sense or feeling of peace or overwhelming love? Interestingly enough, I was scared of the peace because I had enough awareness that it meant I was leaving. 
earth. And I was like, uh, uh-uh, I have a mission. What the fuck am I like? No, I'm not. My mission is not complete. And, um, I have had, I've had Akashic records readings and other things, uh, that I've had many past lives as like war generals and head of security for Egyptian pharaohs or whatever it is. Um, and, and so I'm very tactical and mission oriented. And I had one woman share that I, this is like a mission life for me. It's the word she used because I've completed a lot of my karmic cycles and I chose to come back and, um, not come back from that near death but just come back to earth in general in this incarnation and um and i really deeply resonated with that i was like yeah i mean i have a 500 year business plan for my my company right like so i am thinking big global impact and i wasn't there yet and i'm like so in, in a sense i was like i i enjoyed the piece i did feel it but it freaked me out because i didn't feel like i had completed my mission of like what i came here for so i didn't want to dissolve into it because i'm like it's not done yet my work's not done it appears to me that most of this was a traumatic episode for you but do you find mm-hmm. anything about it to be spiritually transformative 100 percent. it grounded me into myself i'm way more integrated and grounded now i a lot of how i share this was through a lens of uh the physical body or like what actually happened right because that's what got me out of it, my my psychotic episodes and other things. And I also was spiritually waking up. Like you could see it that way too, right? But what got helped me get well was viewing it through a lens of like, okay, any of the mindset stuff, any of the spiritual stuff, I'm just going to shelf it right now. And I'm focusing on what I can see. And I'm focusing on this realm again, because my spirit was going to come back here even more, right? Uh, and yeah, this was, uh, in a way a ego death. It was a cleansing of what no longer, or what really wasn't me. It was a course correction from the divine. Um, and I can't quite see all, I can't quite see all of how it's benefiting me. And I don't know if I ever will until I'm like 80, but this thing has really set me on a different path. And I know, I know that much. And I do know that if I were to just continue the way things were going before, it probably would not have turned out well in terms of the mission, if we're talking about that, right? So um, it's definitely supported me in, in my spiritual evolution for sure. And it's woken me up to the depths of spiritual warfare. Have you noticed since the experience that you have any new abilities that could possibly be considered psychic it's a really good question it's sharpened my intuition i knew i knew i had an intuition but i wasn't really connected to it now i'm like i just know and it's almost like like oh this this happened yesterday so perfect example i'm leaving the grocery store i had to go get something real fast and i'm walking to where I parked. And normally I park close, but I parked pretty far out this time. And I I'm just walking, kind of like looking at cars, looking at the people coming by. And I got this weird sense, like a visual of a wreck happening. And then maybe 10 seconds later, I saw somebody back into another car when they're backing out of their parking lot spot. And I was almost like I literally saw it happen in slow motion in my head and then it actually happened 
And that type of thing happens a lot where it's like, I have a, I have a visual of something and then it's not, maybe not that exact thing, but something like it happens in reality pretty instantaneously after. So it's like, I, I know, think about it like a wave. I get the, the, the current from a wave happening and then the wave crashes. So I'm feel it before it, it's actually manifested in this realm. Um, that for sure. Yeah. It's like you have some sort of a precognitive ability now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You don't have to answer this if this is too weird, but do you fear death at all anymore? Not like I used to. I don't think I fear death as much as I fear not fully living. If that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, before I, because when I think about death now, I think like, okay, did I playful out? Like, I want to have this feeling of being at peace, knowing that I completed my mission, so to speak, again, using that language. Uh, before I go, but I don't, I don't have this dread of death. It's more of a, if that were to happen, but what about my life? Did I, did I playful out? In the beginning, I mentioned that you are the heart guy and I don't know a lot about you, but from what I do know, I believe you're some sort of relationship coach. Yes. So has this experience affected you in any way when you're coaching people on relationships? Yeah, I'm a lot more connected to the spiritual aspect of it all. And I talk a lot more about that. So I am being trauma informed and, and understanding trauma and working with that because um, after this experience, I almost like left relationship coaching and went and I was going to go more down like a spiritual uh, advisor role and really coach people in that way. Because I was starting to get into breath work and basics of Tantra and activating your pineal gland and seeing the, the um, spiritual warfare going on and helping people armor up for that. But I was like, I don't know if the population is there and ready for it. And another way that that spiritual warfare happens is through relationships. Like I know so many people who are hurting in that regard in that department and what better way to spiritually evolve than look at the mirror of the thing that's most emotionally charged in your life, which for every human is other humans. And so I was like, Oh, well I'm in the right spot. It just evolved how I saw it. And, um, yeah, I take an approach now of again, seeing it all and working with trauma in that way. And, the spiritual lens of it being a mirror and your partner being a mirror or your, your relationship to intimacy and doing the work to retrieve lost parts of you so you can be more in your wholeness and in your real self. Um, so if that answers your question. It does. Thank you. Do you have a list mentally of like, the five or 10 most typical problems that cause relationship, you know, dysfunction. Yeah. I don't have it, but off the top of my head, the five things that cause relationship dysfunction are number one, disagreements or miscommunications more specifically, like 
what somebody is saying is not what the other person is hearing. That doesn't, that's not communication. So, um, two parts of effective communication. Number one is effectively communicating and saying exactly what you mean to say. And the other one is effective listening and actually hearing what was said, not your interpretation of what was said or your lens of, and putting it through a filter of your hurt or so to speak. Right. So that's a huge one. Uh, people's past is another one, meaning they get caught in these loops. John Bradshaw wrote a book called Creating Love, and he, in it, he talks about how we get mystified, similarly to uh, being in hypnosis when it comes to relationships. We, If you've ever heard of anybody being in like, oh my God, I love this person so much, but it's like emotionally abusive and you're like, what the heck? is going on, they are reliving an experience from either childhood or with an ex and trying to get redemption from that experience unconsciously or subconsciously. And um, in a chance to find wholeness and completion in that. So a lot of people are mystified on what the idea of love even is. And when they go into a relationship, it's from a lens of this is going to help me feel safe, or this is going to help me feel seen, or this is going to, they're in it to get something instead of to give something as a primary driver. Um, which yes, is a give and take and, and there's both, but in terms of like the intention leading into it, it's uh, thinking that the relationship is going to fix you all of a sudden. You know, the person, the other person is going to fix you all of a sudden. Um, another one is a disconnection in values. Maybe there's chemistry, but you're not valuing the same thing. You're not going in the same direction in life. And there's nothing wrong with that, but um, that conversation gets to be had, you know, pretty early on. And I think um, I've been even been guilty of not doing that. And I've seen the repercussions of it. And, um, and people change in life. You know, your values can also shift and change and morph. And I've interviewed uh, couples actually in my podcast who are inspiring. They've been together for nearly a decade or more. And um, every single one of them individually values growth or evolution. And I think there's like something there. If both individuals can value growth, then you can grow through anything that comes up in the relationship if you genuinely value that. And, um, so, and, and, then, and then seeing relationships for what they are. I think a lot of people think it's, rainbows and unicorns and it can be and it's also a dojo it's the biggest ceremony you can do even more so than plant medicine in my opinion um because you get to see your shit and you get to rise up and do things that are scary in your nervous system like have uncomfortable conversations or whatever it is but that evolve that process evolves you into the you that's the most you and if you can see it as that, and it's a, 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 a fertile soil for your own spiritual growth to grow even more into who you really are and to fully experience this life of another human, it, it is the arena for the development spiritually. Um, if, you can see, if you can see it through that lens, I think you can really, it sets you up to win versus disappointments. And... Um, I don't know if you've read the book, uh, I forgot what it's called, but Magdalene, Mary Magdalene story uh, that was channeled and talks about how Jesus got his powers through Tantra with um, Mary. And it, yeah, it's insane. But 
it, it kind of confirms that basis that I have. Interesting. I have never heard of that book. Yeah. What about this? I don't know if you talk about this subject when you're dealing with relationships, because I don't know if you're mainstream or spiritual or what, but do you ever talk to people about soulmates and or twin flames? I used to. I don't anymore. Um, mainly because I believe that as humans, we, we have free will. Now, a lot of things control that free will, but I still feel like we can make our own decisions. And um, the label in my, this might ruffle some feathers and may not be what other people believe. And that's cool. You're free to believe what you want to believe. But through my experience, through my research of a, a decade of, of this topic, twin flames is another term for trauma bonds. And I can also see the perspective of a twin flame being a twin flame and two parts and, and coming into this incarnation. That probably is true too. I just think it's extremely rare. And a lot of people are labeling a trauma bond as a twin flame and it stays in that trauma bonded state. So, um, but that's my, it's again, that's my experience. It's my research. I've, coaching people who have been in twin flame situations. And then I talked to them a year later and they're like, yeah, that was not a twin. Like I was mystified. Right. What do you mean by trauma bond? Is that like you share a trauma together? Like you're both in a car accident or you both have traumas that kind of mirror each other. You're, um, you're both, are you familiar with being in your shadow, so to speak? Not really. Okay. Um, how do I put this then? Um, there's the you that is your soul. And there's, then you could say your heart. There's the you that's your hurt. That's defensive, that runs or that holds on to and clings or whatever it is. There's the hurt you and there's the sovereign you. Trauma bonds are when two people's hurt selves leading with that get into a relationship and they can't let it go because they don't know who they are outside of their trauma. They don't know who they are as a sovereign being. So they stay in it. And traditionally, there's somebody who runs and somebody who chases or that can go back and forth and they keep revisiting this with each other. And to some extent, their souls are working out a contract, and again, this is a different lens of twin flames. Their souls are working on a contract to work through this trauma together. Whether that ends up them coming together or separating, it's to complete this process, right? I just don't think the majority of people actually see that for that. They, they hear the term twin flames and go, oh, this is my other half. Okay, I keep doing this. And that's actually... There's a that, that caps your spiritual development. Do you find that when people are in these trauma bond relationships, that if they stay together long enough, they eventually heal those traumas? That's a possibility, but for the majority of the people, I would say, like it's not safe. Get out. Um, there's a difference between, and and the biggest difference here is safety. 
I would say. If you don't feel safe with your partner and you're just constantly triggered all the fucking time, but I'm so in love with them, you're mystified. John Bradshaw wrote it in his book. He's like, you don't love them. You're delusional. And I was like, yes, somebody said it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I read that. I was like, holy shit, because it's so true. You love the idea of them. You love the endorphins you get when you aren't feeling safe, quite frankly, and you're addicted to that. And if all you've known is unsafety and you don't actually know what safety is, there's a whole conversation there. And when you feel safe, if all you've ever known is dysfunction, it feels boring. You're like, I don't, I'm not getting a high. I don't, I'm not getting a hit. You know, Mark, he's cool. He's a friend, but there's no chemistry. There's no spark. Well, yeah, because it's it might be safe. If you're addicted to unsafety and unsafe relationships and trauma bonds and twin flames and it's a roller coaster to your emotion, to your emotions, to the chemicals that are going on in your body. And looking at it purely scientifically, through a scientific lens for a second, people are addicted to the, the adrenaline they get from these experiences. And so in a way, when I'm supporting people in breaking these toxic cycles in their love life, we view it through a lens of, of healing addiction. And it just like you were to quit drinking alcohol, you've got to, and, and what that process would be like, the same thing happens with the dopamine and the endorphins and, and everything that happens when you're in an unsafe, intimate setting with another human. And um, just like an alcoholic gets to learn what life is about and what life is like without it, so does the person who's, you could say, a love addict or addicted to their traumas. And their trauma responses. Other the other couples who, you know, have trauma, everybody's got trauma that comes up, but there's a baseline of safety. It and that's the difference here. It, is your trauma coming up and it just keeps coming up and y'all keep running against the same shit and you're not actually moving forward? Or are you moving forward in it together? And there's like this togetherness of like, you know what? And let's talk as our sovereign selves for a second. We're gonna figure this out together. And actually making steps in, in to do that versus just bumping heads into the trauma over and over and over again. There's a difference. So yes, I believe it's possible. And if I've learned anything from my interviews of these couples, anything's possible. Like there's been infidelity that's worked, been worked through, cheating, lying, all, breaking up and come back together, kids moving. Like I've heard a lot of stories and people actually working through that stuff. It's possible. Um, and I'm currently in the research of understanding what those commonalities are so I can support people in, in those. Do you find that with those type of people that need to break these emotional addictions that they have to start practicing meditation or something to kind of achieve some sort of, you know, relaxed or peaceful balance in their life? Yeah, meditation is definitely a, a helpful tool. I wouldn't say it's the thing that actually causes the most change anymore. The lens that I see it through is in expressing whatever has been unexpressed that created the loop they're in in the first place. So if they're in a loop of chasing un emotionally unavailable men, so to speak, we look at, okay, was there an ex? Was it your dad? Who? What was the male figure that created this? dynamic and the demystification process is in expressing what is inside of you that needed to come out 
sometimes it's anger at the person, sometimes it's resentment, and then uh, a, a letting go process of forgiveness towards yourself, towards the other person. And when you kind of complete emotions around that core experience, it dissolves timelines and the, the person sees clearly and they're free and they don't have these loops anymore. Then you're just dealing with the residual um, addiction. It, right. And then stuff like meditation would come into play, abstinence for a, a time uh, or celibacy or whatever the thing is, so that they can find their center and then reform a new relationship with relationships. Kevin, I know we're a little short on time today. So before we go, I want to let people know how to find out more about you. Should they go to your YouTube channel or your website? I would say stalk me everywhere. <laughs> uh, Instagram is the heart guy. YouTube is Kevin Crenshaw and heartguy.com is where you can find out more about my work. And um, I've got tons of free offerings and courses there. It's great. If people want to reach out to you and ask you questions, are you open to that? 100%. Best way to do that is just shoot me a DM on Instagram. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? Breathe for those who can't. How you breathing? How you breathing? It says a lot about how you're living. It says a lot about how you're loving. Kevin, thank you for that message. And thank you for being my guest. Of course. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.